All right, how we doing, Eastside? Huh? Man, it is good to see you today. Thanks for being here in the house of God. If that worship wasn't your thing, I don't know if you're gonna have a very good time in heaven, okay? That was just really good stuff. So thanks for being here today. We're thrilled uh, that you're in the house of God today. And uh, welcome to our overflow crowd over in the gym. Thank you again for worshiping out there. And we're thrilled that you're there, kind of teaming in with us. And our online community, talk about that here in a few minutes, and that just continues to expand every week, on and on. I found out this week some of my high school buddies are are checking it out, which that really scares me a lot, uh, but the, good to have you guys, and uh, it's just good that God gathers people all around uh, to hear his word, and so I welcome you uh, to Eastside Christian Church, and I've got a lesson this evening uh, that I hope will really help and engage you in your own walk with Christ. Now, I don't know if it's a good way to start a sermon. Um, I don't know that I've ever done that. But I have to um, admit a mistake that I made uh, with this particular teaching series, and it's really a critical mistake, and so I just kind of got to get it out on the table, and we just kind of deal with it and move on. Uh, last summer, I started kind of diving into uh, the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation, and I was just kind of playing with that chapter and diving into it, and there are in that chapter these four very specific and somewhat scary sounding horses described. And I, I took the summer and I just kind of dove in to those a little bit and I found out that there are some life principles in the story of those horses that dude, they are just about as relevant in today's world than at any other time in human history. And, and so as I dealt with that last summer, I kind of got this idea that we, we just got to deal with that here. We've got to bring that up at East Side and devote some time to that. And in my mind at the time, what I thought was let's do it right after Easter, right after next spring, right after Easter, and maybe Easter will generate some interest of that, and a lot of people come out for it, and so here we are, so weekend after Easter, diving into the four horses. Now, at the beginning of this year, after all that was planned, God began to help us here at our church think through what is our vision for this year of 2021. And if you're an Eastsider, you know uh, that God just led us to this idea of Comeback 21, that this was going to be the year that we come back from this pandemic. And so we built this beautiful vision of where we feel God was leading us. And part of that Comeback 21 vision was a section that we call Get Deep. And we said, man, this is the time, this is the time for us as a people of God to really get intense with the Word of God to find out what the Word of God says, to understand it and apply it in our life. And so we started developing strategies of how we're gonna do that in 2021. And one of those was a virtual Bible study. 
And we said, let's build that program and start offering that, not only to our people at Eastside, but we have learned this, I believe, is one of the greatest lessons and blessings of this pandemic on the kingdom of God. We have learned to take the message of the kingdom and the ministry of the kingdom far beyond these walls. And so we said, let's do virtual Bible studies. Let's build that program this year. And and we're going to kick it off with a virtual Bible study on the book of Revelation that I'm going to teach. Now, just as kind of a side note, let me explain that to you. Because there's a little bit of confusion about that. And all of the confusion is mine, okay? All of it is my fault because I'm going to explain this here to you for a second. In a couple of weeks... On a Tuesday night, April the 20th, on that night, our virtual Bible study through the book of Revelation is going to begin. And so you can get on our Facebook page or our YouTube page, just like we do every weekend with our services, get on there at Tuesday night, starting at seven o'clock, and it's available all Tuesday night. You can start at seven o'clock, you can start at 11 o'clock, anytime you want on Tuesday night, and you're gonna be involved in a virtual Bible study with us through the book of Revelation. It, you don't have to register, it doesn't cost you any money, it's absolutely free, but you gotta go on Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday, we're gonna take it down, it's not gonna be available, and later on, we'll archive them all, you can look at them later, but we wanna create this mentality that we're all coming together to study the Word of God on Tuesday nights. Now, here's the problem with all of that, is that today, this weekend, we're jumping into chapter six. And, and revelation is not something that you can just jump in the middle and start dealing with it. And if I would have thought about this, I would have waited for this series until our Bible study got caught up to chapter six. And so I got a little bit of the uh, cart before the horse. But then I thought, hey, the series is called Four Scary Horses, so I guess it's okay. And so I, it's gonna work But what it will require us to do this weekend is that we do a little bit of introductory study, that we understand some things about the book of Revelation that are very important to understand before you start diving into the book, because you just can't pick up chapter six and say, okay, let's start right there. And so with all that being said, I want to walk you through some things about the book of Revelation, and then it's going to lead... Uh, to this series that we're gonna deal with on this weekend starting on this day. Here's probably the most important thing that you will ever need to know about the book of Revelation if you wanna understand that book. It is the founding principle of the book. Everything about the book comes down to this one statement, and here it is. Check this out. The book of Revelation describes the historical tension and conflict between the force of good and the force of evil. Everything in the book always comes back to this. Historically, there has always been tension between good and between evil. And the characters of that good and evil have changed throughout the history. Some of those characters stay the same. Some of them are always the same. For example, the ultimate character involved in this tension is between God and Satan. 
And so that battle, that tension began at the Garden of Eden and that tension and conflict will continue until Jesus returns. That is the ultimate display of this conflict between good and evil, between right and between wrong. But then the characters of that change and are replicated in the book on a number of occasions. For example, there is a governmental aspect to that. And so when we dive into Revelation, you're gonna find out often that in the Old Testament, it was between Israel and Babylon. And the conflict between these two nations were representative of good battling evil. And then in the New Testament, you'll find references between the church and the Roman Empire. And those two governmental aspects began to conflict with each other. And in more in your time and my time, we can think about times in history where we look back and we can see the battles on a governmental national scale between that which is good and that which is evil. If you lived in the era of the World War II, you obviously will think in terms of Israel and Germany in this conflict. And we as Americans, it seems, even in my lifetime, can think of times in which the conflict displayed itself in different scenarios. The United States and, and uh, Japan during World War II. Um, I remember the United States and Russia, the United States and the Middle Eastern countries. And so there's always been this governmental aspect of the good and evil too. But here's what I want you to see. The book of Revelation in its strongest factor in this conflict of good and evil comes down to this. It is a personal battle. It is a personal battle in your life and my life. And every single day we live right in the middle of that tension. And you will never escape the tension. And sometimes it's unnoticed and you get sucked into it without realizing. And other times it can be life altering. And we never, ever get away from it. You don't get away from the tension of good and evil and the conflict of that until you get to heaven, if you get to heaven. And the book of Revelation clarifies that, that heaven is reserved, don't miss this, for those who win this battle on a personal basis. And so I want you to just kind of think about that and I want it to kind of marinate with you. I'd like you to kind of really let it down inside of you for a second and kind of ask the question, when evil infiltrates your life, and it will always infiltrate your life. When evil infiltrates your life, how do you respond about that? What do you do about that? When Susan and I were first married, the very first house we ever lived in was this little tiny parsonage of a church where I served right out in the middle of a cornfield. And when I say in the middle of a cornfield, I mean smack dab in the middle of a cornfield is where we lived. And Susan and her mom turned that little parsonage into this beautiful, quaint little, perfect, I mean magazine looking little house 
for her and I to start life with. It was just beautiful and perfect. This was before kids, okay? So you could get your house set up and it stays set up. You know, kids can destroy a doggone house. Am I right, huh? Grandkids too, but we don't care about grandkids, all right? But they can tear out, well, this is before any kids. I'm sorry, I don't even know where that came from, but before kids showed up, we had this beautiful house, man. It was just perfect for the two of us. But we also found out that a cornfield is a mating ground for mice. And they would infiltrate into our perfect little house every once in a while. I remember coming home one night, I'd been at a meeting somewhere, and I came into the house, it was dark and everything, and you walk in this little house, and as soon as you walk in, you're right in the kitchen, and our little kitchen table was right there, little table, two chairs, just her and I, always perfect. She's always got little flowers there, it was just so awesome. I opened the door, and, I looked, and, and she's sitting on top of the kitchen table. I said, what in the world are you doing? She said, there's a mouse over there. So well, how how long have you been up there? About three hours. You've been on the table for three hours? Now, I've never liked mice and never will like mice, but she was petrified of them. And what happened was a little evil mouse infiltrated our perfect little world, and the only thing she could think of to do was to jump on top of a kitchen table. And that is precisely the essence of the book of Revelation. That you and I are in the middle of this battle between good and evil. And our temptation is to think of it in terms of governments. And you've heard all that kind of stuff. And although that's a part of the book, the gist of the book is what are you going to do with the battle when it knocks on your door. It's more concerned about your house than the White House. And so the essence of the book continues to go back to that. Now, once that's established, and we've all got that covered right now, then we begin to see the way the book is formatted. And the book begins to present three storylines. They're three separate stories with incredible similarities between them. And each one of these stories show us how the battle of good and evil progresses throughout history, and even more so, how it's going to end. And those three storylines, I'm going to show them to you real quick up here so you can see it. One of those in chapter six, and it's seven seals on a scroll that are opened. I'll talk about that in a minute. And chapter eight, there are seven trumpets that are sounded. And chapter 16, there are seven bowls where the contents of the bowls are poured out. And all three of those storylines are essentially the same story. They're told in different ways to describe how this battle of good and evil will play out in history and ultimately how it will end. Now, the reason that I want you to understand those three storylines is where we are this weekend, what we're doing here right now is that we're jumping into chapter six and we're going to have a teaching series in our church here over the next four weeks that is going to look at the first four of the seven seals. We are right at this moment 
right here. And what the seals do for us is they begin to unfold how this battle of good and evil works, and the first four seals deal with really scary horses. Now, let me show you how that kind of works. I brought a made-up scroll with me. Now, back in the Ice Ages, if I wanted to communicate something in writing to you, now, you young people, you're not even going to believe this, okay? But back in the day, I would write on a piece of paper, and then I would stick it in a white thing. Sometimes it came in different colors. It was called an envelope. And you'd stick it in there, and I'd write your address on it. Now watch it. It even gets more hard to believe. I would take it to this building that was almost in every community called a United States Post Office, and I would hand it to them, and they would take that thing and hand deliver it to you. They charged me about a dime back in the day. Now today it's about 37 bucks to do it, but back in the day it was about a dime. That is crazy and that used to happen. But before then, they had what was called scrolls. And a scroll was a piece of paper in which it was written on and in Bible terms, they would roll it up and then they would place seals on it. Now, I don't know if they had any of these really fancy uh, neon green seals from Wally World or not, but they had some kind of seals, and you would grab it, and the idea is when you pull each seal off, you can see a little more in there. And you pull the next one, you can see a little more, and a little more, and a little more. And that is the image that starts in chapter 6. As we start to see in this chapter, the unveiling of how God will work in this period of good versus evil. And today what we do is we look at the first four seals and they are representative of very scary looking horses. And the four horses are these. Go, go to the one before that if you will. Let's go to the slide before that. Before that, is there one that has the four horses on them? I want you to show those. Uh, red horse, white horse, do we have that in there? There we go. In the first seal, there's a white horse. In the second seal, there's a red horse. In the third seal, a black horse. And the fourth seal, there's a pale horse. And each one of those is going to describe for us how this conflict happens. Now, here's what I want you to understand, and we saw that side here in a minute. So I wanna go back to God's activity and Satan's activity, and this is really important that we understand this. The first four seals represent how God will work in this battle. So when we look at these four seals and these four horses, listen to this. This is how Satan will come after you. This is his playbook. In the final three seals, describe for us God's activity. And that's something that's very important to understand as we go through this battle of good and evil in our world today. Understand that Satan is often the initiator and it appears that he's winning the game. He's winning the game only because God hasn't got in the game yet. 
You might be here this evening and you might be hearing me at this point and you might be thinking, you know, I feel like I am just being whipped to death right now. I feel like this world has done its business on me and man, it's just one bad thing to another bad thing. And some of you might think of different difficulties you've had in life and you just have never recovered from that. You just can't get over that. And so when I talk about this idea of Satan's activity in your life, you're saying, dude, I know all about that. And it just seems that he's tearing me up. And some of the reason for that is because God just hasn't intervened yet. God hadn't jumped into the game yet. Here's an analogy that might help you understand it. Let's say that I played a game of one-on-one basketball with Michael Jordan. Michael versus me, okay? You can pick your own modern-day basketball dude, but my generation, it was MJ. So me and Michael on the basketball court, one-on-one, we're going to play to 20. Every basket counts one. And so Michael hands me the ball and says, well, actually, he does, does this hands me the ball down there, and he says, you can start. And so he gives me the ball, and then he goes and sits over on the bleacher and starts eating nachos. And I said, dude, you gonna play? He goes, go ahead and start, man. So I go down the lane and shoot a layup, and I'm winning one to nothing. And, and he sees me make it, he goes, make it, take it, dude. Go ahead and keep the law, you can play again. And so, really? And he's just eating nachos, cheese coming down his face. I go take another shot, I'm, I'm two to nothing. And for too long, I keep doing it. Finally, I yell at him, hey, Michael, I'm, I'm winning 19 to nothing, man. I'm about to win. He goes, okay, hang on. Wipes the cheese off, puts the nachos, came out. Two minutes later, I lose 20 to 19. That's what happens with the seals. That Satan's activity comes at us, and if you ever feel beat up, ever feel like, man, God, where are you at? Why haven't you shown up yet, God? Why does it feel like, man, every day I'm getting beat up? It's because in the conflict of good and evil, there are times in which evil will be the initiator. Now, we take those four horses, and on this day, we look at the first one. The first revelation of Satan's playbook in the battle of good and evil that will come to your household and will come to mine. It's in Revelation chapter 6. The first two verses describe the first seal and the first horse. Let me read it. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And that's all we're given about the first seal, the white horse. And so the question is, Who is the rider on the white horse? If this describes how evil will build its conflict in our life, it's gonna come to my house and your house. If this describes it, then I wanna know who that rider is. And there are some people who think, well, it's a reference to Jesus because it's white, white is purity, Jesus is pure. 
Later in the book in chapter 19, when Jesus comes to the earth, it shows him coming on a white horse. And so we go here and we say, man, that is Jesus. Jesus is riding that white horse. But that doesn't fit the scenario at all. The first four seals, the first four riders are all on horses of evil. Jesus doesn't fit that image. And so who could possibly be the rider on the white horse? Here's what I want to suggest to you. I want to suggest that what we're being told is that one of Satan's strategies, and gang, I know the things we're going to talk about in the rest of the book, and I can't tell you how imperative it is to understand this. I don't know that there's a whole lot of things more relevant and more important that one of Satan's strategies will be to appear good in order to deceive the people of God. That his primary strategy to work in your life is to deceive you, to fool you, to dupe you, to get you confused that everything about him is good and holy and pure. And the Bible over and over warns us of that coming about. You ever read 2 Corinthians on this particular verse in chapter 11? Satan himself will masquerade as an angel of light. One of his powerful strategies is to fool you and I into thinking that he is good. It was prophesied for us 650 years before Jesus ever showed up where the prophet said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Now just let that marinate with you. Think of some biblical value that has always been established as good and light. That's good. And now all of a sudden, it's seen as bad and dark. Think of some biblical value that has always been established as dark and wrong and evil. And now all of a sudden, it's the right thing to do. And what we're being told biblically and what is coming forth in the Revelation text is that that is the white horse. That's his first arrow to the people of God. That's chapter one in his playbook. Deceive the people of God when it comes to good and evil, right and wrong, acceptable and unacceptable. Confuse us on truth. Now, if you just took that thought and you went home and you gave it 10 seconds of thought, you'd say, man, we are there. We are there. What has always been right, now they tell us that's wrong. And what has always been wrong, now they tell us that's right. And if you grab the, the text of 
chapter six again and just look at it, see some details that God tells us. And these are why I call the horses scary. Its rider held a bow. This is a fight to him. This is not a game. And he was given a crown. He will win this with some of you. And he will ride out as a conqueror built on conquest. Look at that phrase real quick. Conqueror and conquest. It's the same Greek word. It means, the best way you and I can understand it, it means somebody looking for a fight. It's talking about a bully. And it's written in a way, in the first time, it's called a present tense, which means he's doing it right now. And it's written in the second time in an ongoing future tense. Here's what it means. He is looking for a fight right now, and he will never, ever stop that strategy. He will never be weary of it. What's now going to ever quit. He's never going to quit trying to dupe you. It sounds to me like the phrase that Peter gave us in his first epistle when he said in chapter 5 verse 8, your enemy the devil prowls around looking like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. How does he devour Dave Hastings? By fooling me into what is right and what is wrong. Now, there's a lot of us in this room right now because I know we've got a lot of devoted believers in Christ here who are thinking, that'll never happen to me. I'm established and I'm true and I'm not gonna be deceived by the devil. I'm not changing my value system just because the world changed its value system. I am set in concrete. Let me tell you a story that will challenge you to be careful about overconfidence with this. And the story is kind of relevant to right now because baseball has started. And not only professional baseball, but all of our Sandlot baseball is, is Little League. All those things are now starting. And every spring when that happens, uh, my wife and I both get a little nostalgic. We raised three boys, and uh, so we were at ball fields for years and years. And now, you know, the ball fields are full, and we're not there, and it's kind of, oh, we're kind of nostalgic. And I remember when I was in the thick of it, when my kids were little, and we were, you know, having the time of our life with this and just involved in it all the time. I looked forward to the day when I could be the grandpa. And, and some of you who've ever been in those scenarios, you know the grandpa. He was out on the other side of the fence, out, you know, out there in the outfield away from people. He was sitting in one of those lawn chairs that had that that web stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, he's sitting there, he's got shorts on, he's got white socks up to his knees, and he's got black shoes on, okay? And I remember seeing that guy screaming at the umpires, and I remember thinking, I wanna be him. I, I just wanna be him someday. Well, now <laughs> I'm him, okay? I can't find the lawn chair. I can't find those lawn chairs. Susan won't let me wear the socks, okay? I know they got them, baby. She will not let me wear them. I can't buy the black shoes. What's worse is the, the, the socks 
and black sandals. That's even better. And what's even better than that is sandals has got the little toe thing and you got the socks on, okay? That's grandpa stuff. And I've always wanted to be that person and now I'm that guy. And so, so my oldest grandson, who's now a two-year veteran of T-ball, okay, I'm the grandpa guy yelling at the umpires because of this. And it gets under my skin. I can't believe they do this. They've changed the rules. And they changed the rules from inning to inning. And I'm a grandpa there, can't believe what you're doing. And so I'll hear something like this that I actually heard. Let's give him one more strike. He's really close to getting his first hit. What? Three strikes and you're out of here. What do you mean you get another one? Or I, I heard this. Okay, six runs, that's all you get in an inning. What? Man, you put the hammer on him when you got the momentum. You don't just give, and I'm just crazy that they've changed the rules. And then this happened to me. And be careful, because man, you talk about conviction from the word of God. I realized one day, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, if the rule change helped my grandchild, I was okay with it. Because I was deceived. That is his strategy with you. And I know how we are, Christian people. I know how we are. We hear the nature of what I've talked about tonight to be very careful in society when that which has always been wrong is now told us it's, all, it's okay now. And that which has always been wrong, well now, you know, that changed too. And I know how it is, Christian people. I know because I am one of you. That'll never happen to us. We'll always oppose that. And then the mouse makes its way into your home or where you work or with one of your friends or to you. And now all of a sudden, it's all okay. And that's what the white horse will do to you. So let me ask a couple of terribly uncomfortable questions. I've already dealt with them personally, so I know the shock when you take a personal approach to this. I know what this might feel like when you read it. But I want you to, I want you to allow this to kind of marinate in your spirit. Let me ask these questions to you. Is there anything that has been historically established by God as true and right 
but now you see it as false and wrong because it benefits you or someone you love. Let's switch it around. Is there anything that has been historically established by God as false and wrong, but now you see it as true and right because it benefits you or someone you love? And that is the white horse. So what do you do about that? What do we do when we go home in the midst of this heaviness and this reality that this is chapter one in the enemy's playbook until the day that I die? What do you do about that? I want to send you home with two takeaways, and I'm just mentioning them. I'm not going to spend any time on them because I want you to process them in your own context. I'm going to give very little explanation of them. But two things. Number one, stand on truth. The word of God is our truth as followers. Somebody say amen to that. It is always right at all times, in all places, among all people, in all circumstances. It is always our go-to in determining that which is right and that which is wrong. Our go-to is not social media. Our go-to is not a changing culture. Our go-to is not a political party. Our go-to is not my BFF. The go-to is always the word of God. And so the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna stand on truth. Now it's very important you hear the second takeaway and that is to speak in love. Let me say this and I wanna make sure I say what I mean so I'm gonna read it. We treat people who disagree with us with a deep sacrificial love that would draw them toward us rather than repel them away from us. That means we never communicate truth by being hateful or arrogant or condescending, ever. And so Christian people, when we feel like we've done the will of God by proclaiming truth in an adamant and arrogant and forthright way on social media, you have simply played into the hands of the white horse. Stand on truth, speak in love, is the only thing that will defeat the rider on the white horse. Otherwise, we will be devoured. Father, I thank you that the end of this book ends this battle. I thank you. I thank you that no matter how difficult things might get at some point in life, no matter any of that stuff, 
No matter how many times it seems like the enemy is having his day, we know that at the end, we have heaven to hope for, we have victory to hope for, and we know that it'll happen. But God, it is not always easy in the interim. And I pray that this weekend, the words that we've talked about will be able to resonate and help all of us as we dodge the arrows of the rider on the white horse. And I pray that today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.